With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be back, and tonight is going to be an epic edition of Gecko Nation Radio. Today is February 16, 2014, and we have our friend and sponsor, John Scarborough of Gecko Boa Reptiles, joining us tonight. Um, I admire John's work very much. He has some terrific things to bring to the gecko community, and I feel he's just getting started. Uh, tonight's going to be a special conversation because we're going to discuss the subspecies of leopard geckos, the ones that occur naturally in the wild. And these very special uh, geckos are coveted worldwide by breeders and collectors for their purity, and basically they're untouched by the hand of man genetic quality about them. Uh, One can certainly appreciate all the incredible morphs that we have today, and also consequently the natural beauty of these animals is also just quite impressive, in my opinion. Um, So it's going to be one of those episodes that, you know, if you're seeing a lot of people talk about Eubifaris fuscus and macularis and uh, efasciolatus and stuff like that, hardwickies, you're you're probably wondering, you know, what's so special about these geckos? Uh, They kind of look like our leopard geckos, but then they're kind of different looking as well. We're going to figure out and help you guys learn all about these wild types tonight. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. I have to tell you guys, I'm I'm kind of like uh, on the the uh, end of a nice bout of pneumonia here, and I believe I picked it up uh, sometime after the the last uh, expo in New York last week. So I'm actually feeling better tonight, which is great. Uh, I was kind of under the weather the last couple of days, but uh, all bouncing back and getting back in the groove of things. Um, I want to thank everybody for making Gecko Nation group on Facebook just a huge success. Uh, everybody in there is posting, having a great time. It's really taken off quite well. And uh, we just started doing, uh, we started our first auction in there. Uh, for, and it's going to end tonight at 11, I believe. So if you guys want to get in on it, it's for 1,000 Doobia Roaches from AB Dragons. And uh, this was a trial run, so if it goes well, we'll do more auctions in the future. That'll be uh, group specific. There'll be you know, exclusive auctions just for Gecko Nation group. So if you like the group, if you like what's going on in there, uh, get get some others involved. Um, you know, the group will grow. I think we're at like 1,300 members now. Um, in addition, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Uh, Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without our amazing sponsors. And these uh, plugs that I do for our sponsors are sincere. Uh, these are businesses that I stand behind 100%. 100% 
and will uh, stake my reputation on theirs. Check this out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or Message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms 2 ent Dot .weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. And that's not all, everybody. We just added a few more sponsors, and I have basically capped off our sponsors for the time being. Um, we may rotate sponsors in the future. If some, you know, take a break and not sponsor the show, I'm able to bring new ones in. So sponsors come and go sometimes. We'll see how it goes. Um, some sponsors will stick for the long haul. We'll see. Um, but I hope to be able to have opportunities available in the future for more. I just don't want to overcrowd our, our listening, our, you know, our airtime with, with all commercials. But the show would not be possible without these sponsors. So that's important. Um, Dad from Ohio Gecko, amazing gecko breeder. He's on board as a sponsor now. If you guys are looking for cool fat tails, some really unique projects, definitely check out ohiogecko.com. Uh, Wally from Supreme Gecko specializes in crestids a bunch of different micro geckos and uh, does a lot of great promotional stuff and just a bunch of giving back to the community. And uh, I like what Wally does. His website is supremegecko.com. And finally, and uh, our newest sponsor, which I'm really just very excited about, is uh, Reptiles Express. Reptiles Express is the best shipping company for shipping animals. And uh, not only are they pretty much got the best rates, but they definitely have the best customer service. And that is a huge uh, kudos to uh, Debbie Price over at Reptiles Express. Uh, she helped me get started with shipping 
And uh, it's not always uh, something that you're comfortable doing if you've never done it before. But once you learn how to do it, it's so easy. And Reptiles Express makes sure that your packages are tracked all the time. So definitely check out reptilesexpress.com. Excellent shipping company. Um, special announcements is uh, basically next weekend at the Hamburg Reptile Expo. I hope to see you guys there. I'll be there with Blake, and we'll have geckos, snakes, and, of course, Flexlot, reptile, heat tape, the real genuine stuff. So come see us at the show. And uh, if you guys are getting involved with geckos, if you're listening to the show, uh, you're probably looking to, you know, get a lot of information, and you're trying to find other people that are involved in this great community. Um, here's a great place for you to go find some more friends. Check it out. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. That is right. We are proud. It's a great forum. All right. We're not going to waste any more time, and we are going to go ahead and bring on our esteemed guest. And uh, John Scarborough runs Gecko Boa Reptiles, amazing breeder, and uh, just doing some incredible, incredible work with, with uh, Eulophyrus species. Uh, in particular, but uh, he also works with some some other interesting animals too. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. So, Mr. Scarborough, welcome to Gecko Nation Radio. Great, thanks for having me on, Dave. Appreciate it. Oh, of course, no, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to tonight's show and uh, getting some good information out about uh, wild types. And uh, you you pretty much have all of them right now, don't you? <laughs> Um, yeah, I have all that are, are currently recognized. Um, that there are other, I'm, I know there are other species out there um, that haven't been identified yet. But as far as whatever is known to the hobby, I have everything now. That's um, awesome. I got. Yeah, I'm really got impressed. Food, food, food. Oh, go ahead. Right, you know, I was going to say I'm really imp- impressed with the most recent ones that you got, which are the fuscus. Yeah, that that was kind of a dream come true. I've been I've been looking at those for years and years and years, and it was kind of kind of finally getting the unattainable, you know, this last uh, this last ham show. So I was really excited about that. That's cool. Yeah, and it's not so easy to get these uh, these geckos, and uh, you know, if they finally made it here to the states, and I, I think they're in very good hands. So I'm glad you're able to basically. Uh, pioneer this these special uh, subspecies for us, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the future. Um, before we get started with your interview, we're going to go ahead and bring on Sure. He's got some important information for us tonight because I've been seeing some some links going around. So let's go ahead and do this. Good evening, Gaconians. There he is. What's up, Steve? <laughs> How's it going? Uh, I'm all right. How are you? Uh, I'm a little under the weather as well. <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Right. What, do you have any good news for us tonight? Uh, there's a couple of good stories. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> we'll start out. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Researchers have found that certain species of crocodiles can climb trees as far as four meters into the air. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it turns out that at least four species of crocodilians can climb trees. Also, smaller crocodiles are better climbers than larger crocs. Hmm. Interesting. Do they say if they're doing that to catch food or just uh, for the fun of it? Uh, they it didn't didn't say and it didn't list which species either that uh hmm. yeah okay so that sends us to our next story in the UK a town councillor in Bristol believes that he he has captured the first video footage of the infamous crocodile that is thought to be excuse me, thought by some to reside in the river, in River of Avon. The alleged six-foot-long reptile was precise, previously spotted in Bristol by a bus driver. We, we heard that story last week where mm-hmm. it was spotted. But to be honest with you, the pictures he has, it just looks like a log in the water. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe somebody's smoking angel dust over there or something. Yeah, who knows? But that's <laughs> a that's a counselor. So I don't I don't know a town counselor. <laughs> so right. hopefully hopefully he's not counseling too many people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then we're gonna head to Paris, where officials at a Paris aquarium announced the arrival of two young albino alligators about a year and a half old and are two of only about 50 living albino alligators in the world. So the Hmm. aquarium just got two new additions, albino alligators. Interesting. Those are cool. Yeah. Which that leads us to our next story. In New York... A 23-foot-long, 300-pound albino Burmese python arrived at the Staten Island Zoo. Named Fantasia, will be a permanent, or will be on permanent loan from the Brooklyn Children's Museum, where he had been loved by children since 1998. And Fantasia is, yeah. Fantasia is expected to live at the zoo for the rest of her life. And it's being being dubbed New York City's largest snake. All right. Well, that's some positive uh, news about Burmese pythons, at least. Yep. Cool. All right. And our next story is, is always cool to hear. A new species of day gecko has been discovered in Madagascar. It is a natural occurring albino and scientists believe it adapted this way because of the flowers that inhabit its surroundings are mostly yellow so a new species of gecko wow yeah and our best story of the night and our last 
Sea turtles released in the Keys. A male and female loggerhead sea turtle rehabilitated at the Florida Keys Turtle Hospital have been released back into the wild off the island chain. So that's awesome. Okay. So that's our that's our news. There wasn't a whole lot this week. Um, there was there was a another story about a a reptilian. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was a some kind of official in the UK. I can't remember. I believe his name was Key, and he is being suggested as a reptile along with Justin Bieber. So. Okay. All right. Well, we can. We know. But uh, <laughs> anyways, the recap. There was a lot. A lot of articles were about that. That official, and I just didn't do that story. So, <laughs> but, uh, the recap is: certain species of crocodiles can climb trees. Mm-hmm. The inf- infamous Bristol crocodile. Rare albino alligators come to Paris. New York City's largest snake, new species of day gecko, sea turtles released in the Keys. That's our recap. One of those stories are fake. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna enter my judgment in this because I already know which one's fake in this story. So I'll let John <laughs> go, and then I'm gonna put it to all of you guys in the group. Uh, what is your guess on the fake story, everybody? Go ahead, John. What do you think? Um, it was, I was thinking that the albino day geckos was, was fake. Um, is, is that it? Well, hold on. Let's see what the, I don't know. Let me see what the other people are saying. Uh, the tree crocodiles, crocs climbing trees. Uh, Sean's going with the new species of day gecko, the natural albino. Um, yeah, let's see who else, what everybody else is saying. Yeah. Jeff says the monkey crocs. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's it. It's, I guess, yeah, I, I could see how they they would both be kind of believably to be false. So, all right. So pretty much it's either the day gecko or the crocodiles climbing trees. So uh, what do we got, Steve? Which one is it? John was right. The day gecko <laughs> is false. <laughs> <laughs> And that's really occurring, albino. Well, I tried to throw people off. See, that was my, that was actually my idea for yeah, a whole story, yeah. everybody. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty funny. I, I don't know what I was thinking that I'd be able to fool John with that, but I guess it was worth a shot. Yeah, <laughs> albino probably would have lost never some, make it, so. some, <laughs> Yeah, I think John would have lost some credibility out there if he fell for that one. But so I'm glad you didn't, John. <laughs> that's good. That's cool. Um, all right. Well. Of course, part of our uh, news that we do is the Herp history. And I love this segment. And now, a moment in Herp history. All right. On March 16, 1961, a 22-foot python escaped its cage at the Henley Zoo in Florida, and fatally crushed a veteran snake handler, Alfred Henley. The 210-pound snake was later found in a tree. Hmm. So this this wow. is one of the stories so far that I've found of 
a large python, and it didn't specify the species, but this is 1961. So far is the oldest story I found of a snake crushing a person to death. So wait, could you hold on? Could you elaborate on it so that the the snake actually uh, constricted and killed the person, or what happened here? Yeah, they it it said that the snake escaped and then um, and killed killed the, uh, the the hand the owner and handler of the zoo. Alfred Henley, but the snake was not there when the body was found. So hmm. it's kind of a little questionable, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, no, I think big snakes are, have been used uh, for a long time to just basically make people go away. And uh, yeah. it kind of seems like it to me. Like, who's going to question it, especially back down back in 1960? Um yeah. Wow, interesting. And that that should be yep. like a cold case file that should be reopened or something. Yeah, they the body was found next to the cage with the snake missing. Mhm. And it just said that that he was crushed. But who knows, you know, what kind of autopsies were being done back then, you know? Yeah. Somebody got away with murder, I think. Wow. Yeah. So what's going but, on in your in your collection, Steve? I'm trying to be patient. <laughs> the hardest part of the season right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just waiting. waiting. And then the, exactly. that next, next hardest part is waiting for the eggs to hatch. So. Yep. Wow. So you got some cool stuff cooking though, right? Uh, yeah, I should, you know, not anything over the top or anything, but but to me they are. Oh, they're all cool. Yeah, they all are. So. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I, all right. I, well, I'd be happy hatching out in a you know. So. <laughs> yeah. And we also, uh, Steve, we also have the, uh, the uh, I guess it's the end of uh, the public commenting on the Cat X coming up this week too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. And it, it's been right. accepted quite a bit, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Herp Alliance got us the first extension, and then uh, I think, uh, I don't know if it was you, Sark, that got the next one, but, yeah, I think it ends officially uh, De- the 22nd, I believe. 21st, yep. Deadline. 21st, okay. 21st, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, well, if you haven't, everybody that's listening, if you haven't uh, posted your public comment, about uh, categorical exclusions. Uh, it's all over Facebook reptile pages, pretty much, and you can find it on the Herp Alliance, uh, usherp.org, and usarc.org website. So please make your public comment on that. It's important. Um, all right, Steve, if there's nothing else, I'll let you go. Is there anything uh, you'd like to leave us with? And uh, give us your, uh, give us your uh, contact info. Uh, you can check, check us out at... BC Barker Creations on Facebook and YouTube. Awesome. All right. Thanks for another edition and get well. All right, Steve? You too. <laughs> thanks, bud. I'll see you next week. I'll see you there. All right. And everybody out in the, in the listening land and in the chat room, you can pretty much... 
count on the fact that John is going to be making all kinds of noise during the interview because he just likes to do that because he's busy working while the shows go on, and he's famous for that. So, John, keep clinking and clanking. <laughs> I'll try to keep going. With that. That's all good. Um, all right. Well, I, this is this is an important show right now in the world of leopard geckos, especially. There's a huge buzz about wild types, uh, subspecies. It kind of plays off of the whole thing where a lot of us breeders are trying to either strengthen our lines, test breed our lines, and these, and of, and of course the purists that like the natural forms of leopard geckos. Um, what do you find so appealing about the wild types, and what what is it specifically that interests you, John? Uh, enough where you've made substantial investment into acquiring these uh, these amazing uh, additions. Well, I've always been interested in kind of the way things are naturally. Um, you know, in nature, we we get these uh, we get these geckos in, and you know, we interbreed them, and you know, they end up being something totally different than what is actually found in nature. And it's kind of interesting to see when you know to do the studies and see the areas where you know different localities will actually display um, a different visual appearance depending on where you where you are. So. Um, you know, and, and it's it's one of those things where most of the leopard gecko species look similar, and maybe not everybody knows the difference, but, you know, the genetics behind them are kind of showing them to be more of a, a cryptic species where they they actually are different species and different, you know, completely unrelated to other groups. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I just find it I just find it fascinating to see all these different types. And you know, when you get into some of the the actual species, and not dealing with macular subspecies, um, you start getting into very different animals. Like you know, um, to most people, an agrimony would look you know similar to a leopard gecko, but when you see them in person, it's it's totally different. You know, much bigger species, um, different attitude, different you know altogether. So it's just it's really cool to me to to see how all these things are naturally, and for me to have them, you know, every one of them in one room. You know, I I display everything from Turkey all the way to Eastern India in one room. You know, for me that's that's just really cool. And I've always been into the like the localities and stuff like that. Even when I you know was working, I still work with some boas, but you know, even with boas, I, I was really into the localities and the different species of boa constrictors and. Um, I've always been interested in that kind of stuff. You know, the, the morphs mm-hmm. are fun, and all the all the breeding for different genetics is fun. But you know, there's there's something I really enjoy about working with the, the actual wild types. Oh, I can appreciate it absolutely. So, how many how many subspecies are that are known right now? Uh, for people that don't know, how many subspecies are there? What are they What are they called? Well, you got to be uh, when you're saying subspecies. This is a, a common misconception. You're talking about subspecies mm-hmm. of Macularis. So you'd be talking about um, your Blephus Macularis fasciolatus and Blephus Macularis uh, montanus or Macularis Macularis um, and even Macularis afghanicus, even though I think they're a separate species or they should be classified that eventually. Um, those are subspecies, and they're subspecies of Macularis. Now when you talk about Eublephus angermanu, that's a different species altogether. It's it's not mm-hmm. not a subspecies. So you wouldn't say that's a subspecies. And there very well could be, you know, once we're able to go in there and have scientists really study this stuff, there very well be, might well be uh, actual subspecies of even Angermanu, 
um, just the same as there is macularis. Or there might be subspecies of fuscus or uh, subspecies of hardwicki. You know, there could be, you know, these different things. And we're already seeing, especially, you know, in India and in Iran, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of different variations of these animals. And, you know, the phylogenetics or the testing for the, the genetics on these animals is showing that they're, they're very different genetically, you know, even though they can look very similar, they are very different genetically. So, um, and, and speaking of the, uh, the anger manus in particular, you have two different, well, cows that have significant uh, visual differences about them, right? Yeah, there's currently with Angermania, there's uh, the the most common is Kuzakstan, and then there's Kervincha province, and then there is Ilhan province, and there's a couple others, but those are the main three that are that are common in the pet trade, or even not common, but you know you'll you're more much more likely to see one of those than anything else. Um, right. And I care. I keep Kervincha, and I also keep. I keep two different lines of Kerman Shaw, and then I also keep Elam. So, mm-hmm. but I have everything that I keep. I, I have unrelated animals, which is good. I'm starting off with, you know, unrelated genetics as I go forward. So, um, pretty much every every uh, species that I keep, I have unrelated genetics, and then even in the subspecies, I have unrelated lines. So I have lines from different people. So even though they might be from the same group that came in originally. They they came from different people, you know. So they're, there's the same line as far as you know. Montanus has a there's a issue with Montanus because there's a lot, there's a couple different lines, and I keep the one that actually looks I think the best. Um, there's some others that have a lot of high yellow in them and stuff, and I don't think they look as nice personally. They might be real Montanus, quote unquote, but they uh, they they look a little different. So. Um, even within some of these subspecies, there can be different, you know, lines. And it, you know, it, I kind of want something that looks a little different than just your normal butt leopard gecko. If I'm getting one of these different lines or whatever, um, mm-hmm. something that really represents the the, the locality or the species um, very well, but just looks nice at the same time. So, right. No, I understand. Um, now, between the, I, I'm curious uh, about the Angra Manu. Uh, in particular, the two prominent, the two different uh, locales that you have. How much, how much uh, distance is there between the two, and do they overlap at all? The areas. Oh well, like, I mean, the the thing is, it's you could literally there could be, you know, there's thousands of and thousands of localities technically because every time you go over a mountain ridge, there could be something different, and that's the thing we just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, these these animals stay in the groups in the wild, and you know maybe they. It takes them a long time to venture anywhere as far as their genetics go, you know. Over breeding of, you know, thousands of years, they probably only venture a couple mountain ranges, you know. So it's, you know, there's there's all these different different localities, but, you know, it's really just the localities that people have actually collected them from. So, you know, you kind of, I know that there's some that, you know, the ones I've gotten have been collected near the Iran and Iraq border in Kermanshaw. That's one locality, but that could be, you know, a dozen between there and, you know, Kuzakstan um, that are significantly different, you know. So it's kind of endless in that sense. Um, you know, we're, I'm interested in kind of getting the sample base of, you know, I don't want, I don't want like five different Kerman Shaw provinces, like localities. I'd rather have something a little bit farther apart. So like Kuzakstan is a different province altogether, um, same as Elam. Um, you know, also if you go up into, you know, 
anywhere through the Zagros Mountains, which, you know, extends up and through Iraq even. And, you know, there's there's anger monument in Syria and Turkey, but you probably will never see those based on the countries that they're located in. There's just no no way people are daring, will dare to collect them over there. So, um, yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, there's literally, the localities are endless. It just depends on, like, what is collected and, you know, from what areas and what's, you know, if they go out there and they find something totally different, you know, there's Highland. You can have, there's two, like, for instance, Kuzakstan, there's two provinces, or there's two uh, variations in Kuzakstan that have been, you know, um, found. And one is a Highland province or Highland uh, um, variation, and one's a lowland, like, from the flats. So they're actually showing up in, you know, Iran down to the lower elevations too, and then also up in the mountains. Um, you know, Elam, Elam, for what I know, is a, is a little bit higher elevation um, locality. Um, and I've heard, them, I've heard of them going up all the way, you know, above 1,800 meters, which I think is, you know, over 5,000 feet or 6,000 feet up. So, I mean, wow. these animals can go pretty high in elevation as well. Yeah, and, I, and I'm assuming as the higher they go, the temperature gets cooler too. So I, I would think some of them can can sustain uh, cooler temperatures, possibly, right? Yeah, I mean they can. They're all over the place, you know. I from from Andamania, you know, you, I get males get lower temperature on incubating, so that kind of tells you that, you know, these animals they these animals do like. I, I notice they do definitely like a, a cooling period much more than macularis do. Um, you know, keeping them even like I, I throw on a bulb during the day and they, they get on the cold side and they get as cold as possible right now. So I've dropped the temperatures on them and trying to keep them cool at this time of year. I think they really do actually have a pretty cold winter where they are. And I mean, it's different from everywhere. You know, if, if I'm getting, but the incubation temperatures tell me that they definitely probably like a little bit cooler temperature. So, okay. Okay. Um, all right. Well, as far as, you know, I understand the distinction between subspecies and species, which is good. And I think that's important that you brought that up because uh, I'm sure people are confused about it. And even myself, I'm learning about these because I don't follow them as closely as you do. I am impressed with them uh, very much, though. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've note, we've seen in, I would say, I don't know, maybe the last five years or I've been in, I've been following leopard gecko stuff for the last uh, four and a half years or so, what was the first, uh, why, let's just go with wild types, uh, you know, to generalize, you know, the subspecies and the species. Uh, which were the first ones to, that we started seeing occur in the, in the, in the breeders, in the leopard gecko community? Which, which of these guys first started making the appearance? Was it the Afghanicus? Well, I mean, the, you know, most people back then, they just thought of all leopard geckos as kind of the same. So they just, you know, brought them in from Pakistan and within Pakistan, they do look very similar. You know, that's why, you know, the the variations like fasciolatus or montanus, I consider more of localities than actually subspecies. But, you know, there has to be okay. a lot more work. There has to be a lot more work done to, to distinguish those things. And, um, again, this is kind of the exciting part because it's never ending really what, what is found out there, you know, what they're going to find. There's there's new stuff being found all the time. I mean, there's, there's new... I, from what I understand, there's a new species being described as we as we speak right now. So I mean, there's you know it's kind of limitless on what we're going to end up finding. In, in a way, in a way, these countries make it very difficult to do any of these studies. But in a way, it also keeps it you know it keeps it as the unknown. 
which makes it more of a challenge. Um, you know, these animals, these animals are very prolific in the wild, but the problem is that, you know, these countries are so war torn and, you know, hostile that, you know, there's no way I'm going to travel over there and try to, <laughs> you know, research, research these things. So, um, the studies on them have basically come to a halt, um, except for a few daring individuals that'll actually go in there and, and do that. But, um, yeah, yeah it, I, you know, I, as far as the first species to be discovered, I, I'm not sure exactly which one they finally distinguished first. You know, they, they, uh, you know, they had Fuscus, I think is labeled as the first macular species that was discovered. Um, I forgot which scientist actually, um, did the taxonomy on that, but, um, I think Fuscus was the first one. I think it was originally labeled as Eublephus macularis Fuscus, which makes me think that it was probably more likely a, a variation of macularis at that time. Um, okay. there's been a lot of, you know, it, it, the, the studies on them, there's the, the scientists have done, done work in the past on them and described different anim, animals. But part of the problem too, is to know exactly what animal they were looking at at that time. Um, you know, there's even like the Blephus macularis mythi, which, you know, was from a certain area in, in India, which was described by two species in a museum. And it's, you know, we don't know what the depth, we, we haven't had done the studies to really define that as a separate subspecies, which it quite possibly could be. Um, I do know for a fact that macularis does extend into India quite far, though, or at least okay. animals that look, that are very similar to macularis, so... Well, you've really done your homework on this, and I, that's you know, that's why I appreciate it. You, you know your stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I dabble in a lot of different things, and I, I I think the only thing that I'm really specialized in is you know the wild types of the leopard geckos, and it's kind of where I've found my interest. You know, a lot of a lot of the obscure guys that don't like all the different, you know, that don't like the macular as much or the the morphs that we create. You know, as uh, more of a commercial breeder style, they don't like leopard geckos in general so they kind of stay away from this stuff um and they work mm -hmm. with other you know other species of geckos that are more obscure but you know i find these just as fascinating if not more just because of their size they're a lot larger than a lot of species of geckos out there and they do have quite a bit of variation so you I, know, that's, I i'm glad you brought that up let's 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 run with that for a quick second here john and i and i've experienced that too um and, and i've seen it it's it seems like um uh, today, it, some people, not everyone, um, depending on your interest, and I, I've heard it happens between ball python guys and boa guys, you know, there seems to be you know, almost like a, a fan club rivalry, you know, certain, if you like this species uh, because it's more common than this, you're not as cool as me, or, you know, I'm cooler than you because I have this, that, and these, and these are, you know, rarer or you know, harder to take care for, perhaps. Um, I, I, I don't particularly care for that attitude because I, I feel like if you are fascinated by a normal leopard gecko, that's great. If you are fascinated by a viper gecko, awesome. You know, if you like the uh, Fantasticus, that's that's cool. Uh, it's basically what you like. Uh, all it is, all it comes down to in the end is money. Uh, you know, what do you want to spend your money on? What do you want to buy? Where do you want to, what breeder do you want to get your animals from? What What species are you interested in? So, and, I, and I've seen instances where it's almost like if you'll gain more respect if you spend more money and have rarer stuff. But do you, do you see that as a trend, or do you see that as just, you know, certain people behaving like that? 
Yeah, to some extent. And, I mean, there is some credibility about that. You know, your your average leopard gecko keeper isn't going to know as much about geckos as, you know, say somebody keeping some, some you know, fancy Europlatus or some leaf, Australian leaf tail type of geckos or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I find I, I'm fascinated with all the species of geckos. If I could keep them all, I would. You know, the, the bottom line, it comes down to, it comes down not so much even money. It comes down to time. You know, and even yeah. even the big guys out there, you know, which I give a lot of respect to, you know, as part of the thing, I got a lot, you know, I got a little bit of heat for winning the Gecko Breeder of the Year thing, but you know, I didn't even <laughs> really care. I didn't really care about it to be honest. It's it's one of those things that I know some of these breeders out here that have worked with, you know, 200 plus species consistently for you know 20, 30 years, and I mean, for me, like I'm an amateur compared to those guys as far as that goes. I, I might, you know, and, and that's what I say is like, you know, try to specialize in something. If you're going to go into something more obscure, go go something like, you know, like for me it was the Eublephrids, and you know, for the next person it might be, uh, you know, um, whatever it is, Europlatus or whatever you you go into Nephurus or wh- whatever you decide. Right. You know, specialize in that, and you can keep a lot of species, but nobody's going to be able to keep them all. I mean, bottom line, nobody can keep every species out there, even the, the guys that know. Every, you know, almost everything about them, you know, and have gone to these yep. countries and studied them directly. You still can't keep them all, you know. You can learn more from them, and, you know, you can I, – I, I do see the fact that if you keep other species, you do learn more about even the species that you're keeping. You kind of get a broader range. So once you learn how to keep, you know, 20 species, you can almost keep, you know, anything out there, you know, successfully. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for mm-hmm. me, for me, like, you know I, – I, like, I, I got the Mythiconus terrori, which are the East African fat tails. Um, and, That's you cool. know, they're considered one of the toughest species to work with, but they're really, really cool at the same time. And, you know, a lot of people have bought them in and had had troubles with them, which, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said they were easy. They're definitely not. They're, but there's something that can be done, and I'm hoping that in the future I can get them going. And, I mean, you know, it's something I like, and I, I'm willing to put the time and effort into that. And, you know, for everybody, you just got to pick what you like and maybe work with a few obscure species. But definitely, you know, pick something you, you do like. And I do like the morphs, too. I mean, obviously, I work with a lot of them. You know, some of the, the, the big-time rare guys that are all into the rare species and stuff, they, they don't like they don't like all the morphs, and they think that's, you know, that's not the way things are supposed to be. So. I kind of got both sides to me. I got, like, the purest side of it. And then I, I like working with the morphs. That's kind of fun. And to, you know, because you're creating something new every time. Whereas, right. you know, you're when watching you, it you're working with the species, you're working with, a, you know, you can get a new species, but you're not going to be creating anything new. Like, it's fun to breed two, you know, especially line breeding, where you breed two, uh, two geckos together and you get something, you know, totally that's different and awesome, you know. And yeah, I mean not, that's the mainstream, but it's it's still fun, you know. I find fun in both of it. So I mean, I'll, I'll work. And with, you know, I'll what? Work you're, with... you're lucky. Good. I think I think you're very lucky, John. And I and I'm the same way. Where I can appreciate both. I mean, there's people out there that, like you say, they just they can't appreciate the morphs at all. I feel like I'm very fortunate that I can definitely appreciate both, and and you can too. Um, and me myself, I mean, I love this the pure stuff. And uh, it's, uh, they look great. I'd love to work with them. It's, but to me, I'm I have too much fun, uh, you know, watching my projects evolve year after year. That that to me is, you know, like just knowing that my vision is evolving with with my my selective breeding. That to me is the fun part. And 
um, you know, that's why I prefer morph making over more uh, more natural wild wild type stuff. But you know, it's good to, to be able to do both. I think. Yeah, I, and I mean, I guarantee you know, ninety percent of the people that keep leopard geckos right now, if they saw you know, an Angermani or a Hardwicki in person, they would be hooked, you know. So it's one of those things, mm-hmm. too, you have to really, the pictures don't do them justice is what you see in, you see in person. You know, they are they are unique and different, and they're very fun to work with. And it kind of satisfies that side of me, too, so I can work with both. I mean, I like working with other species, too. You know, I work with some Tinopus, and I work with um, Idara and uh Tetraskinicus and some other species too, but you know, for me, the the wild types are, are where it's at. I like these big geckos that are just totally different, you know. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit and focus, give it some time uh, and uh, some spotlight to uh, E. fasciolatus in particular. And um, I, I want to start off the conversation. Uh, last uh, last week we had Michelle on and uh, we were talking about E. fasciolatus and she she basically taught told us about a rumor that, you know, some, that the E. fascio may have been uh, outcrossed at some point in Europe, um, and it may not be a pure subspecies, and I know that you just said that you think it's more of a locale. What do you think is going on with E. fasciolatus? Because I definitely see significant changes in projects that have E. fascio blood in them, even at 25%. And uh, what, what do you think is going on with them? Well, what, what I like to do is I like to research the first animals that came in and kind of look at the pictures of those animals and base what was available on those animals. And the first E. fasciolatus, or E.M. fasciolatus for that matter, is, you know, it is a subspecies of macularis. So um, mm-hmm. the first ones that came in were very light in color and they weren't very dark. So um, there's a few lines in the U.S. They all they all originated from the same source, which is B.C. I think it's BC Reptiles, um, a gentleman named Casper. He's not in business anymore, but they originally originated on an import from him in Europe. And, you know, though there's a few breeders that have them in the U.S., and um, some of them I don't like. I think they've been line bred, and I think they look totally different. I think they look too dark. I don't think they look like the original animals. But it's at the same time, they're still pure. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could technically have a <laughs> – like maybe the original tangerines that came in were, you know, a macula- macularis macularis like locality, and over time they've, they've you know, line bred them to be tangerines. But in my opinion, that's not. I, I try to keep them to look exactly like they did when they first came in. You know, there's a lot of people trying to like, like line breed Afghans and line breed different things. And my my thought is that I look at the original animals and I see like whatever looks closest to those original animals is what I go for now. So for me, that's what, what what's interesting. If you do something else, like if you're line breeding something for maybe you get, I've seen some subspecies that have been line bred for dark coloration. Um, if you do that, then keep it, the line separate and just say like a dark line bred, you know, Montanus or whatever you whatever you're doing. You know, um, I yeah. I hatch out even out of my pure stuff. I hatch out all kinds of you know stuff that I could line breed and totally make it into something new. But I kind of pick the middle ground. And uh, I go from there. So I kind of try to keep things, you know, like in Montanus, for instance, they, they, they're they very light. You know, the original ones that came in were extremely light in color, um, at least the line that I have. And, you know, I'm trying to go for that. You know, some of them, I, I mean, I can, I hatched out a few Montanus that are extremely dark, and that's just 
you know, over time they, they kind of get line bred to a different variation. So, um, yeah, fasciolatus, I mean, there's there's a few different lines that came from the original same source, but, you know, some of them I like and some of them I, I personally don't just because they don't look like the original ones anymore. Okay. Um, I haven't really seen too many of the dark ones. Um, uh, mine all yeah. come, well, my females come from Marsha and my male came from, from Nigel, who I believe got his from Sykes, so... You know, I guess I have some diversity there, and they all have that lightish, that light uh, cream color with uh, with past not, with a more like lavender uh, highlights in it. So I would think those are the. I mean, you know, yeah. and the thing is, they come from the original bloodlines. I know both of those bloodlines are uh, legitimate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but you, you can also get animals that you know go back the other way again. So they kind of go dark, or some of the animals go dark, some don't. So you can go back the other way. So. You know, okay. I know marshes are, are very nice, and they, they're. I mean, I'm not going to name names or anything on this on the show, but you know, there are some that you know I don't like as much. Just in my opinion, I just think they just don't look like the original ones that came in. Um, okay, you know. that's that's fair. But I've seen I've I've seen many nice ones from Marsha. You know, I've, I've gotten some from Steve Sykes. I've gotten some other places too, and I have my preference on which ones I have after seeing them in person. Okay, so you do significant. You do you do have some fascia projects going on currently? Yeah, I breed fascia. I breed everything. So I mean, I breed fascia yeah. um, uh macularis, macularis. I consider a locality. It was sold to me as a macularis, macularis. But I mean, that could, that is a broad definition. Um, you know, and the thing with macularis is all these are kind of, you know, it's so unknown about really like the the specifics on them. I've seen a lot of montanus animals from the wild and that their actual location, so that pretty much seems legitimate to me. Um, you know, fasciolatus is more of a coastal um, um, variation from what I understand, and, you know, they do have that lighter color. So they're kind of in between a macularis macularis and a macularis uh, montanus. Okay. So, all right. Well, that's that's fair. But, um, have but you again, done any I'm not, I, you know, nobody know nobody knows all the specifics of this stuff. This stuff is you know so unknown. Even you right. know a lot of guys working with Angermanu these days, like the the biologists that I would talk to a lot, they they want to study the macularis and all the localities, but they can't just because of the country. So, you know, we're kind of right. limited on what we know. So, yeah. Hopefully, in the future, things will change. <laughs> yeah, slowly um, over time, we'll get it, but. Mm-hmm. Do you did you do any uh, outcrossing with E. fasciolatus into any of your own morphs at all? Um, I haven't done it myself. Uh, I don't. I think I have some stuff. I, I think I actually got some from you that were outcrossed, and I got some other stuff. But I haven't done too much of that yet. I don't have a lot of fasciolatus. Um, I have a lot of Germanicus okay. and Mo- Montanus, but I I don't have too many fasciolatus that I'm. You know, I I definitely wouldn't be using a female to outcross at this point. It may be a male, but you know, mm-hmm. for me, I like outcrossing with Turkmanicus to be honest, just because the the genetics are so far apart, and they do breed with macularis fine. Um, and it seems like the animals that come from Turkmanicus are extremely strong. Every one of them. So most of the like my marble I uh, outcrosses this year um, will be with Turkmanicus for the most part. Nice. Um, yeah, Montanus is you know they're they're a little bit they're they're like a lanky like Angermani like a, a smaller lanky Angermani kind of variation <laughs> they almost seem like and you know they do they do range into uh, eastern Iran so 
you know, they could be yep. kind of linked up there at some point, you know. So, All right. But, Let's, uh, I, I would think in popularity uh, in, in the Gecko community today, uh, it seems that it's the Achillatus, uh, it's the uh, it's the Montanus, and, of course, it's the Afghanicus. Why don't we talk, why don't let's uh, jump into the Afghanicus a little bit. I've seen some incredibly dark examples of the Afghanicus, and then I've seen some really, you know, yellow and black ones, and then I've seen Afghanicus that has some bold head markings going on, and, uh, you know, when I see that in, in a, in a, in, in a, in a wild type or a subspecies, so to speak, I see what may be affecting some of the morphs that we have, and I don't know, if, what is your opinion on, like, sometimes when I see Afghanicus with bold head markings, I think, well, maybe that's how, you know, the bandit morph got some of that trait. Somewhere along the line, there has some of that blood that just linked up right. Uh, what, what are your feelings on? Um, and let's not get too off on a tangent, but what are your feelings on Afghanicus, and what do you think about it possibly influencing something like the bandit way in the way in the past? Um, you know, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the bandit personally, but you know it could. You know, some of that stuff could be in there. I think with a lot of these subspecies, a lot of people think like Angramani would be part of the the supergiant line and stuff because of the size. And what I always refer back to is like the body shape and the way the animal actually looks. And, you know, they have totally two different body structures. And same with Afghanicus. They have a, they're very small. They have a very like stouty, um, long torso with very short legs, you know, the real ones at least. Um, right. You know. They, they have they have a different body structure than macular. So, I mean, as far as the bandits that I've seen, you know, I've never seen um, really bandits with that body structure or any influence of that body structure. So for me, I don't I just don't see it being as part of the part of the influence in the back background. And um, after breeding macularis for you know enough years, like I have, I, I've noticed that you can create all kinds of stuff from just macularis. I mean, it, it's a variation. I mean, it changes almost as quickly, you know, if not quicker than almost like dogs do, you know, as far as how quick they can change in coloration, you know, from line to line. Mm -hmm. And anybody that right. has ever bred a group of leopard geckos, you know, that you get all kinds of stuff from the same pairing. So, I mean, it's, I've, I've hatched out all kinds of crazy stuff from, you know, one pairing that can be totally different. And yeah. I, I think, I think it's just kind of, you know, came from macularis and, you know, over time, it's it's changed. They change pretty quickly. You know, year only year increments between breeding cycles, and you just you know literally can you can influence these animals dramatically within a couple of years in in the color mm -hmm. and pattern and um, you know anything pretty much. Um, I would agree on that. Absolutely. Shape. Yeah, I think everything pretty much came from Pakistan when it originally came in. So I think pretty much everything we got was you know Pakistan animals. Um, not somewhat, you know, Afghanicus come from, like, the mountains in southern, uh, southeastern, like, Afghanistan, you know, that very unlikely that they went and collected the animals there when they're very prolific in Pakistan like that, so. That okay, so, now with the Afghanicus, they're pretty popular today uh, with breeders, and, uh, you know, we, we often see, I know you have feelings about this, and that's why I'm going to bring it up. Uh, we often see uh, Afghan raptors offered for sale. We see Afghan this, Afghan that. Uh, tell us your opinion on that, and um, and also expand a little bit on Afghanicus in general and uh, what you what your experiences are working with them. Um, well, 
I, I don't see any problem with that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't do it as much as other people or probably as interested as it in, as in other people might be. But, you know, okay. I, I have Afghan tin drains. I have, you know, some stuff that's crossed that I think looks really cool. But the second, mm-hmm. it, the second it gets bred into a morph or to another, you know, macularis, it becomes a morph to me. It doesn't. It goes into a different category. It's not. It's not a wild type no more. Yeah, it has mm-hmm. a different bullet and it strengthens the line. And, you know, of course that's good to strengthen the line. But the second you breed it into your tendrings or you breed it into your bold stripes or whatever it is, it becomes a morph at that point. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And if you're gonna if you're gonna label it Afghan tangerine or Afghan bold or Afghan hauling mounts, whatever you're gonna do with it, you gotta tell the person like how much you know bloodline it has from the Afghan. So, you know, first cross right. would be fifty percent Afghan, you know, fifty percent bold or whatever morph you bred it into. Um, if you bred that that animal back into a bold again the next year, you gotta say twenty five percent. You can't say fifty percent no more. Or a lot of people don't right. label that; they just say Afghan bold, you know. So mm-hmm. pretty soon you get down to, you know, like 6% Afghan blood, and they're still labeling it as Afghan bolds. And, you know, I just think that's kind of deceiving to people. Um, the other thing, I mean, if you're breeding Afghan bold to Afghan bold, and, you know, that are 50-50, then, yeah, you can still label it as 50% Afghan blood. But, you know, I don't find any problem with doing that. I don't do it so much. I only do it to strengthen lines. And if there is something really cool that pops out from them, like, you know, for me, you know, like I, I did Jim, I did, I did Jim uh, Snow uh, Montanus crosses that came out really cool looking just because my Montanus has a very wide appearance already. Um, uh-huh. So I did that and, and I'll do like Afghan stuff cross because they have kind of a unique look. Um, and then I also do them to strengthen lines, like just like the Marple Eye and other things. Um, I know some people are doing like that the Angamanu like crosses with, you know, super giants and stuff. For me right now, I don't want to do that. Um, just cause I, I'm not interested in, you know, I would consider Angamanu more of a line bread size thing. And maybe super giant is either being, either being recessive in my opinion or line bread. Um, and I don't, I don't, this one, I don't want to mix those at this point. Maybe later on I'll do it. But for me, it's, you know, some people are looking to make make a dollar off them real quick, and you know, breed them into that and see what happens. And I, I think it's fine. That's just not what I'm into totally. I'm, I'm more into keeping. Yeah, it at I this agree point. with you on that. I, yeah, I can see. It, there's something different about the Ingermanius. Like I can see the uh, the, the fascia crosses, the Afghan crosses, and the Montanus, of course. But then there's something just specially, very special about the Ingermanius that I think. I don't know. I just can't see the point of mixing it with a morph, in my opinion. But you know, I just yeah, I mean, I can see it. I can see the the temptation, and I can see what people like out of it, and I have no problem. Right. It's just I don't I don't want to do it. That's just me. So yeah, the people that are doing it out there, I don't. You know, that's fine. But right, for me, right. it's just like I like to keep them pure. Like my, you know, my Angermanu are 100 percent pure, and it's very rare in the world to have you know pure Angermanu as far as. Uh, localities and stuff so that's why i don't have all the right. localities yet because a lot of them i'm not sure about you know a lot of them yeah. I, they you know i verify the sources down to the, the person that went and collected them or the biologist that looked at them and you know i don't want to mess with anything that's you know across between stuff you know it's one thing you know some of these, these animals are still unrelated but you know you can you can get some people have the thought process of, well, I'm going to cross all the Angermontan uh, provinces and 
mix them together and they're going to be a stronger animal. Well, they, they might be a little bit, but, you know, now you kind of, you made a mutt, you know, just like a mutt macularis is the same thing. It's a mutt angrum on you. So I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just what people, some people want to do. And that's fine if they want to do that. For me, that's not what I want to do. No, I get it. Yeah, I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, yeah, it's, you know, I, I just think they're very special and just the way they are kind of thing. And oh, yeah. They're, yeah, no, they're amazing. I mean, for me, they're perfection. You can't, you know, I have food season hard wiki, which are kind of the holy grails, you know, leopard geckos. And I probably like Angamani, if not more, just as much, you know. You know, food mm-hmm. is pretty cool, too. But, <laughs> yeah, they're, Those things they're, they're have all... A, yeah, they have a really, uh, I don't know what kind of... I, I wouldn't call it a sinister look, the Fuscus, but they have a very uh, striking appearance. That's the word. I, I, yeah. Uh, you know, the, just really, I don't know, something just really special well, about Well, you know, bo- books always stated them as being, you know, huge. Like, I, what we think happened is that they, they measured, the original scientists that looked at them, they measured snout to vent, or they measured uh, snout to tail, and, and they labeled it down as snout to vent. So we thought these animals were just absolutely massive, like little monitors, basically, <laughs> roaming around the east, you know, western Pakistan. And you know, it turns out they're about the same size as a macularis. But unfortunately, that would have been, you know, the ultimate if they would have been that big. Being one of the, they would have been one of the largest gecko species in the world. You know, close to, you know, the Lichianus and all these other species. You know, could have could have gotten close to record breaking, but. You know, it was just a, you know, original scientist going in there and and marking down the wrong the wrong information in the wrong spot made us think that for a long time. Um, <laughs> and up and up until we recently got the animals in, you know, we didn't know for sure about that. Um, there is a slight possibility that the original descriptions too were of the different animal of the locality that was much bigger, but that's very unlikely based on the two animals in that area are macularis and fuscus, so it's very unlikely that anything was bigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we're at the halfway point here. We're going to take our break. And uh, in the second half of the okay. show, uh, we are going to open up the phone lines to everybody. And uh, John wants to give away a, uh, a gift to a caller tonight. We'll do a raffle. Uh, for people that call in with their questions, we'll do a raffle after the show uh, tomorrow. And, uh, John, what did you want to give to, uh, to the listener, to a caller? Um, yeah, I think it was uh, $50, oh, I'm sorry, uh, $50 off any purchase over 200 bucks, or 200 bucks right. or more. Um, doesn't apply to the old you know, purchases already in progress or um, what was the other thing? <laughs> well, yeah, um, $50, $50 off. Right, yeah, fifty dollars off uh, anything over two hundred or more doesn't right doesn't apply to any uh, yeah, and, and no, it, it was no other discounts included. So if like somebody called or messaged me up and said they wanted something, or I gave them a de- better price than what's advertised, it's not off of that. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, just so everybody's clear, that's the fine print. All right, we will be back in one minute. Hang tight, everybody, for more on wild types and subspecies and extra species and all kinds of crazy stuff with John Scarborough. And if I could find the sponsor plug, that would be great. And right here. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. 
you can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by... Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Okay, everybody. I'd also like to mention at this time that we do have two other sponsors, that just actually three that just came on board. We have... Fad from Ohio Gecko, OhioGecko.com, awesome source for fat tails and incredible tangerines. Uh, check out OhioGecko.com. Also, uh, SupremeGecko.com. Uh, Wally is known for cresties. If you guys like cresties and uh, small bay geckos and micro geckos and all kinds of really interesting uh, obscure types, uh, Wally's got them. And uh, it does some work with, with Leos too. Uh, so definitely check out SupremeGecko.com. And last of our new, our newest uh, sponsor is uh, ReptilesExpress.com. They are the best reptile shipping company and uh, also has the best customer service. So www.ReptilesExpress.com. Give them a try. Call Debbie if you have never shipped before. She will help you get through it and make it a fun and easy experience. And they also sell a bunch of shipping supplies on their website. All right. Um, we're going to also one last thing. Herpentine Radio and Gecko Nation Radio are a team as far as promoting go. And uh, Herpentine is also my inspiration to start Gecko Nation Radio. So uh, I'd like you guys to take advantage of this other reptile-related show that's out there. And they do a lot of great interviews with some amazing people. Uh, so definitely check out Herpentine Radio. It's on Block Talk as well. And that's on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Okay. All right, we're going to open up the phone lines now, and 
this is your time to call in with your questions. And uh, John is extending a special uh, credit tonight for callers. What we'll do is, for people that call in with their questions, I'll keep track of everyone who calls. And uh, tomorrow afternoon, I will do a raffle and uh, put those people's names in the raffle. And I'll announce the winner in the Gecko Nation group. Okay, and the winner will receive a $50 credit towards any purchase of 200 or more. So if you're looking forward to getting something really cool, maybe one of his Macularis or Afghanicus or Montanus or whatever he's posted. He's got amazing tangerines, all kinds of great stuff. And this will be your chance to get a little bit of a break on the price. So uh, take advantage, call in. We love callers and uh, get some questions going. All right, we are back with John, and we already have a call on the line from area code 432. And I think I know who this is. Caller from the 432 area code, you're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, Dave. Hi, John. This is Daryl. How y'all hey, doing today? Hey, Daryl. Hey, Daryl. Good. Dave, you need to make sure and put my name in there several times because, you know, I, I need that uh, $50 from John. <laughs> no problem. I can't rig the contest, but I'll say a couple extra prayers and hope you win. How's that? There you go. <laughs> hey, John, I'm like you. You know, I guess I'm old school and uh, I really like the, the species stuff and, uh, you know, the subs as well. And I and I tend to uh, go right down the line with you. I like the Turkmanicus probably the best, and the Montanus. Uh, but my question—you kind of hit on it already. I was wondering if there was any any field work being done, you know, as far as trying to figure out the Agamanius and and the stuff like that. But I, I realize with the, you know, those countries being in the shape they're in, then it's kind of tough. But I figure there's somebody doing it. And Yeah, you know, there, are, there are a couple. Well, there's a lot of people interested, and I do know certain individuals that are actually taking a look at some of the, the animals that you're talking about. Um, you know, it kind of depends on the country. You know, Syrian Angermanu and Turkish Angermanu are going to be next to impossible at this point. So, I mean, it, it, you know, you, you almost – suicidal if you're going to go in those countries and try to do that so exactly um i'm sorry iran and uh iraq there's probably a little more leeway there where they they're able to look into these countries especially like you know the zagros mountains where iran is that's how we're able to see these species right now is because it isn't as hard um there's also some people looking into you know hopefully soon into Turkmenistan and like some of the Turkmanicus and, you know, India's, you know, you got to look out. If people that are going out there to look at leopard geckos, you know, you got to look out for rangers and you got to look out for tigers. So, I mean, they're <laughs> taking their own risks, own the risks there. So, I mean, exactly. there are people that are definitely interested in this stuff. And, I mean, most of them are overseas. You know, most of, I don't think there's anybody in the U.S. that's really actively too interested in this stuff or willing to, to go to these countries. I mean, I'm not, I'd love to go to these countries myself even, you know, and I almost would, you know, even try it, but it's just for me being a six, four white dude and from the U S it's just suicidal to even try to try to go look at these countries. And exactly. Just, yeah. This is not going to be doing it anytime soon, and there, but there are, you know, where I, where I get my anger on you or where I've gotten most of mine, um, you know, this actually a biologist that studies the phylogenetics of these animals too, and 
you know, so I'm I'm actually getting animals that are part of studies, you know, that have been done on the species. So, you know, it's a it, it's an ongoing process. You know, we're learning more and more. A lot of locals take pictures of animals. Um, a lot of people, a lot of amateur photographers and you know professional photographers in India, they take pictures of animals, and slowly over time, we're getting pictures of animals in different localities, and we're kind of understanding you know, what they look like at different areas. So that's partly how we have to do the research on them is just after random people taking pictures of them. And, you know, I get, I mean, I get literally a person in Pakistan every week emailing me about animals he has for sale because they have this big notion oh, me that, too. you know. Oh, yeah, really? we're, yeah, it's, it's I don't know what, where they're getting the motivation. Some of them say they're selling animals, so I don't know where they're sending them to. Probably China. Um, but you know they think they think the bigger the animals, uh, the more it's worth, which is sad too. Because I've seen, you know, I've seen them actually put, you know, on some some they'll actually go out there and put, you know, spray paint a monitor and put put gecko eyes on a monitor, glue them on to a monitor, and actually try to sell them to us as large leopard geckos because they think we want these giant leopard geckos, and it's just oh, it's sad because they're doing this to these animals and. You know, I've I've even been I've been getting pictures lately where you know they obviously stuff the stomachs of these animals heavy with something, you know their stomach is just you know bloated and full of either shot or something I don't know but it's just it's sad the animal's not even moving at all and they're trying to sell it to me as a 300 gram leopard gecko and I'm just like please stop <laughs> please exactly. tell all your friends yeah. yeah. I do not want. Well, you, I don't want it from like a random person in you know Pakistan. I, I'd rather a biologist go through there and do studies and you know DNA tests yeah. and then, you know figure out the science on these animals. I know they're not endangered, but it's at the same time it's it's sad that they they're doing these things to these animals that you know they're like that. Absolutely. Well, you, yeah, you get you get some of these places like that where if they can sell a few of those animals to. To somebody in Europe or wherever, you know, they can make enough money to live on for a year. Yeah, you know, that, that's the of problem. Course, of course, yeah, of course, they think it's big money, and you know, they want to make a buck, and they're trying to feed their family. I understand that, but you know, we got to not support it. And I tell every one of them to, like, I make it a point. I think a lot of people won't even email, email them back, but I make well, it a point to tell them to stop doing it and to not tell their friends to do it because it's kind of an epidemic in, in Pakistan. And it's gotten to the point where it's you know the government's even gotten involved a little bit. And you know besides it being illegal, you can't you can't just bring these animals in from Pakistan like that. Sure. You know you're risking to be in big trouble for that even. You know and sure. you're gonna it's probably gonna you probably lose your money or whatever. It's just you know it's it's sad because there's you know all these people trying to do this now. It's a big rumor yeah. that spread through that country. Steve, uh, Steve did a story about this a while ago. Uh, it was called, I think the title was called uh, uh, The Sale Export of Leopard Geckos from Pakistan Condemned or something. I have something like that. It's going, right. going back in the shows. But yeah, yeah, like you said, John, they, they are aware of it at least. And, uh, you know, no, I made it, I made it a point so. to say... Yeah, there's, well, there's somebody buying. We don't need your leopard geckos. We've got enough here. Yeah, I've already talked to people that are over there. They said that people are buying them, and so there's somebody that's buying them, whether it's Europe sure. or whether it's you know. How many? I, I how many do you think? How many? How many of the is some of these outlined places like that that we can't get to? Do you think there's there's some other undescribed species that are 
that are around that we just hadn't seen oh, yet? Oh, yeah. I know for a fact there's a lot. So <laughs> I, yeah. I know people I know people that have, you know, there's different areas of these countries where there definitely is, you know, at least different localities or subspecies. And, you know, like I said earlier, there's a, there's even a species being described right now that's different from all of them. So, wow. you know, it's not limitless, but there's definitely – a lot of different localities and different variations and, you know, maybe, maybe just as much as, you know, how, uh, macularis macularis or like our regular leopard gecko looks compared to a, uh, Afghanicus, you know, for instance, you know, it might be right. that kind of variation that we're talking about, but, you know, which I consider a new species anyway. Sure. Interesting. All right. Great. Any other questions? Well, you- while we have you? I think that's it. I can't wait to see the the things I have coming from John next week. So I'll uh, I'll be sure and be posting some pictures of those when I get them. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, John, I appreciate cool all you do, and uh, you too, Dave. Everything's going oh, great. Of course. And, Thanks, uh, but I appreciate your support. Yeah, you bet. And we'll uh, we'll be talking again. I'm sure. Cool. Mate, all thanks, right. Sounds good, Daryl. Thanks for calling in, bud. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Yep. All right, all right. Daryl's a cool guy. Keep an eye on what Daryl's doing, everybody. Got some uh, <laughs> got some really nice stuff going on. All right. Uh, wow, we got a bunch of callers here. All right, let's go ahead and take. Uh, all right, caller from the two five three area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. How's it going, caller? Hey, how you doing? This is Ultra Borzoi, Dave and John. Hi, Ultra. Hi, how, how you doing? Uh, I I'm really. Still a beginner with leopard geckos, but I'm, I'm fascinated with their history and everything. Not, I was Nobody's wondering what, 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 what is the easiest uh, for a beginner to work with in the subspecies? Like, would it be Afghanicus or Puskus or which one? Good question. Um, from, I'd probably say either like, you know, you could go to subspecies like Fasciolatus. It's pretty easy. Um, the, I mean, all of them are fairly easy as far as the scale okay. and, and keeping geckos in general. So, I mean, they're right. not hard species in general. Anything that's an arid environment, something that survives, like, you know, extremely high temperatures in the day and low temperatures at night and limited right. water and humidity, most of those types of species are going to be pretty bulletproof. Um, but I, I would say, you know, for my work with right now, I mean, Fusky seems to be one of the strongest species I've ever worked with. You know, honestly, I can't. The, these these geckos took ship from Europe better than any gecko I've ever received. So, I mean, from my limited, my, my limited animals that I have on those, uh, I mean, they're looking like they're one of the strongest species out there. And from what I've heard from other people that have them now, too, is the same thing. Um, they're still extremely the price. They're, go ahead. Is that the hard wiki, eh? No, that's the fuscus. Oh. That's the, oh, the, the hard wiki or eastern India, and then fuscus are oh, western okay. India. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. It's but the fuscus seem they seem to be closer related to macularis than hard wiki. Hard wiki seems to be more of a distant species. Um, attitude is very similar to macularis on fuscus, but. They seem to be one of the strongest species, for sure. Okay. Um, but they, they are still very pricey. I mean, they're extremely rare. Right. Um, but, you know, as far as the more common ones, Afghanicus is a very easy species to take care of and keep. And 
they even do pretty well in groups. They do. Uh, I keep most of mine in groups, you know, and I've always, I've always found that they do very well in groups. So they're they're one of they're one of the funner ones that are a little bit less expensive, you know, to work with. Right. Um, Turkmanicus and Montanus are a little bit more difficult. They they tend to only want doobie or you know insect prey like roaches or or crickets. Um, okay. Where, whereas you know Afghanicus, you can pretty much get them going on anything. Okay. But thank, yeah, thank I, you. I think if you're gonna get if you're gonna get a subspecies to start off, maybe Afghanicus or or Fasciolatus, then those two might be good to start off or. Anything, anything that you find macularis, macularis, those are all okay. good, too. Thank you very much. Sure, no problem. Okay, thanks, Elsa. All right. All right, we have a few more calls here. Let's take the caller from, uh who's been on the longest here. Caller from the 530 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. I am. You hear Hello, me? Sir. All hey, right, hey. how's it going? Hey, this this is Jeff. Hey Jeff, what's up, bud? Oh, I hey, got a question for John. Sure. sure. Yeah. I called the right place then, huh? <laughs> yes. Oh, hold on. Maybe, okay, maybe sorry, not. My accent. <laughs> no, you did. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the Afghanicus, um friend of mine was over there in Afghanistan, and um, he was telling me. I don't know if it's a question or just a comment or uh I'll just share what I what I heard. He he was mm-hmm. telling me over in Afghanistan though the the geckos that lived up in the higher rocky places were like a darker color than the ones that were more in the I don't know, uh poppy filled grassy land kind of area. Which those were a little uh the the yellows were brighter in those ones. Than in than in the rocky sense. areas. So I, I just yeah. wanted to hear any input you had on on any of that. Yeah, I haven't. I, from what I understand, is most most of the Afghanicus we have come from the higher elevations. I've seen pictures of lower elevation ones, and they look a little bit more like your regular macularis. So that might be why. Um, uh-huh. I have two different lines of Afghanicus, and you know, the ones that are F ones that I have got in recently are very very dark. So I, I like the darker look if that's the higher elevation. I mean, that's yeah um, maybe a little news to me, you know, as far as that goes. But I, I see I see the variations between lower elevations and higher elevations to be pretty significant, um, no matter where you're at. So the same thing. That's why I was talking about like Kuzakstan, Iran. You know, they the anger you very very much so from the lower elevation to the higher elevation. Um, you know, not all the animals can survive. I mean, as you know, any time you have a higher elevation, it's a different climate. So, you know, it's not like the, the species is going to venture back and forth so often, or at least going to take on a different appearance. So, yeah. Well, temperature may be food maybe source. Or... It, but, I mean, I think, who knows, you know, maybe maybe the type of you know, camouflage that they need at higher elevation is a darker type of camouflage or, you know, lowland is more maybe a sandy type of lighter color. You know, that could be part of it over, you know, And they've just years. evolved over, yeah, millennium exactly. or whatever. Exactly. So yeah, I noticed it here, too, with, um, well, I mean, like uh, gopher snakes. Up here, higher up here where I'm at, 
Um, they tend to be a, a darker color, and then I go uh, further down into like the valley, like Sacramento Valley, or closer to the valley, and they're they're more of a reddish orange color. I, I, I'm kind of comparing that with, you know, what goes on over there. Yeah, I'm sure that's. And then you go by the the ocean, and they're uh, the gopher snakes you see there are a lot darker. Which yeah, I don't. Yeah, the, the you know it's, it's amazing that any of these little things will will you know those animals won't survive just because of the slight variation in them. And, uh, yeah, and they know, just keep evolving. The stronger ones make it with with the better camouflage and whatever. Exactly. Same same reason that you don't see many albinos. That's why I kind of picked out that albino yeah, day gecko because that's yeah, I, not likely ever to happen. I thought about <laughs> that. It's so it, unheard it, of. A day gecko out in the day and an albino getting the sunlight. Yeah, and I thought, uh, yeah, that, 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 that just that dog don't hunt. There's there's just too many things going against an albino to survive in the wild. So you know, it's right now. You might see a few, but you'll see a lot more hats than you will actual visual. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was that was kind of my my input on the whole thing, and kind of wanted to cover that that ground. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Actually thanks thanks some for that. Info for oh. me, too. I mean, I don't, I, yeah. I haven't talked to anybody in Afghanistan that's actually, you know, and that's how we have to get our information is talking to these people that are actually, you know, I've gotten information from people deployed in Iraq even and stuff. Even the, uh, yeah, he, he was you know, deployed, he was deployed over there and um, just off hiking around doing whatever, shooting people or whatever they do <laughs> and uh, was interested in reptiles and kind of shared that with me so I thought I'd kind of throw oh, that cool. out there see see what kind of other input yeah cool. thanks for well, I appreciate it Jeff thanks for calling in oh not a problem thanks for taking my call all right take care bud oh uh, but I know all right uh, we've got a couple more here let's take the caller from the 630 area code you're live on Gecko Nation Radio hello hello who's this? hello this is Carla. I just had a question for John. Sure, Carla. Um, I'm fairly new to geckos, and I really like the bigger subspecies, and I was wondering, I don't know if you've talked about this before, which one is the bigger one, the Turkmenicus or the Agermanus? Um, well, Turkmenicus and Afghanicus are a little bit smaller. Afghanicus is probably the smallest of all of them. Um, where Turkmenicus is maybe second. Um, and when you're talking about subspecies, usually we're talking about macularis. So that would be the biggest in macularis would actually probably be macularis, macularis. Um, but the biggest of all, you, you blepharids or leopard geckos in general would be Anglomania for sure. Um, we get, you know, those, I, I posted on my Facebook page, but, you know, I hatched out babies that were 12-gram 12, 12 eggs and 12-gram babies when they hatched. Wow. You know, just dwarfing, dwarfing the two and three gram leopard gecko babies that we hatch. So, I mean, it's just a significant difference from the get go. Um, mm. I haven't raised I haven't raised the Angermon from baby to adult yet. You know, because they take longer to to raise. You know, you're looking two to three years at least to breed. Um, and I'm seeing that like three years to get more to their full size. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see how you know. How I have plenty of time, but I really like the look of the subspecies. Yeah, I mean, if you want big, you're looking for Angermonia. I mean, they're just, 
they're huge. Their heads are massive. They're just they're they're more of a lanky gecko, like long and lanky, so they don't get the heavy gram weights. Right. But like if you were comparing, uh, you know, a hundred and twenty gram uh, Angermanu to a you know a super giant you know mutt lap you know Macularis, you'd probably be looking at like a hundred eighty, hundred ninety gram Macularis compared to like body structure. So. They just stay lighter, but they get bigger. Is basically what I'm saying. So they they're they're just like they're the cool species all together, just to work with. That's all I needed. That's what I answered my question. Right. Yeah, literally. All right, like my, Carla, uh, my, my maculatus heads are like almost as big as my toke heads are. So it's like crazy wow. how big they they are. Yeah. Wow, they're just huge. Thank well, you very much. All right, Carla. Sure. Thank you. All right, I think we have a familiar number here. If I seems familiar, let's see. Caller from the 907 area code. You're alive on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey there, it's Marcy. Marcy. Hey, Marcy. What's up, Marcy? <laughs> oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm feeling a little better than I have been, so that's really good news. Oh, is the roach chow going out the door or what? The roach chow is going out the door. My husband was, um, I don't know if everybody saw on, our, on my wall, I had a, a funny posed picture of my husband laying next to boxes and boxes <laughs> of roach chow. And, um, but literally, he was, he was uh, burning the midnight oil, so to speak getting everything ready uh, for him going back to work and me uh, not being able to do much of anything. So uh, he he did an outstanding job. I have to give him big kudos for that because it was, a, it was an interesting adventure. I'm like cool. six, 16, 17 days out of my surgery, and I feel much better. But uh, I, had, uh, I just wanted to tell John that... Uh, I appreciate his all the information he helps me with. Uh, I purchased some absolutely glorious uh, Turkmenicus uh, from him, as well as uh, some other geckos that just you know steal my heart. And um, my most exciting, I get how do I say it? The most exciting purchase that I'm going to make this year is going to be some of his uh, newer line, Afghanicus. And uh, oh, nice. just because Afghanicus are my truly favorite subspecies of all. For some reason, I'm a complete dork for Afghanicus. So um, I've really expanded my collection, and um, that's kind of where my heart is with uh, subspecies, um, them being my favorite, but also just loving subspecies in general. Yeah, cool. Af- Afghans are definitely cool, you know. Setting them up in the group is fun, too, because they have a lot of behavior. The males uh, the males really get some crazy behavior if you put them up in a big group. They really are rubbing their pores everywhere they go and just almost almost walking sideways how much they display that. Cool. So they're, they're interesting for sure. Well, I definitely am looking forward to uh, one of the things that uh, I'd like to do is to be able to set up, um, I've got, I don't even, 
I'm trying to think of my numbers now. I think I've got like two seven uh, Afghanicus right now. So it'd be fun to figure out who to set up and in what colonies. And um, I'm not not uh, quite ready to do that yet because it would take more manpower than I'm able to. But I think uh, that'd be something that I'd really enjoy because you don't get too many of the geckos that I feel comfortable about putting them together in in a colony. Um, but just the Afghanicus are just seems just so incredible. I mean, they're they're just so sweet. They're literally it's like my sweet spot, my heart. You know, I have them ones that I just sit and hold, and they just are just sweet and gentle, and I'm in love with them. So. Yeah, the, the the new line even even are look better, and they're just the same attitude too. So, you know, they almost seem they the almost seem a little bit. What's that? Did you say the Unger user? No, the new line of Afghanicus. So, oh, you know, okay. they they seem they seem to be even a little smaller than the ones that have been in cap or in the U.S. for a while. So they uh, they definitely have that same attitude, if not even more. Well, that's so exciting. I cannot wait. That's uh, probably my most exciting uh, purchase this year is going to be those as well as hopefully some ankle menus if I can get in there first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know you've got a long list, and uh, understandably so, because you know you, you, I just have to say that I'm extraordinarily proud of all the work you've done to bring some incredible subspecies into uh, our community and also the information that you bring in uh, as well. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, and, you know, it's, what, it's what I enjoy, so I like sharing it too. You know, it's not a lot of information easily found out there. So I, I don't share every bit of yeah. detail that I know, but I, I share as much as I can. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're definitely very helpful, especially for someone who doesn't know much, you know, and they they fall in love with the subspecies. And uh, you're definitely um, have always been a good good resource, like in shows like this, where you explain uh, a lot of information. So it's it's something that is a smart appreciated. What's your IQ, John? <laughs> I don't even know. I did I did one of those little online tests and I got like a 160, but I don't think that's totally accurate. <laughs> I don't think I'm that high. Uh, <laughs> but, well, he's he's pretty know, smart, Marcy. I've had some conversations with him, and, and even last night he helped me uh, tell me some cool husbandry tricks of his that are just you know like why didn't I think of that? But yeah, he he knows <laughs> what he's talking about. <laughs> that's for sure. Do you have any well, other questions, Marcy? John, John definitely. Definitely earned um, uh, my respect over the past, you know, short period of time that I've been involved in geckos, and um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for uh, the kind of caliber of person that John is. If, if anybody out there has not purchased a gecko from Gecko Boa, um, I suggest you go look at the website. There are very, very few people that I say without hesitation, buy with confidence, uh, absolutely stellar, impressive, um, and John is one of those people. And so mm-hmm. if you're looking to get into a subspecies or if you're looking to get into, you know, some of his other extraordinary tangerines or 
you know, any of the, I mean, he's just got so many gorgeous geckos. Um, you know, if you're looking to take that leap, um, I would say without, you know, any hesitation that John is one of the good men to go to for, for that. Yep, definitely. I agree Thanks, 100%. Marcy. Thanks, Marcy. Yeah. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Well, I'm going to go because I don't have a whole lot to say, and I'm probably still a little. I'm just not. I'm just not with it. I'm just not myself. So okay, we'll get, um, we'll get better. But Marcy. I just had to say thank you, and thank you for inspiring me to absolutely love subspecies. And <laughs> it's probably gotten me in trouble with my husband just a little bit, but um, <laughs> I just figure. I think I have to figure out like new different recipes and. You know, all kinds of <laughs> tricks. Like a, we made a, a a Valentine's burger for my son. My husband was like, "Oh my gosh, I wish I was home." Uh, filled with blue cheese, what? fried mushrooms, onions, hollandaise sauce on on toasted bun. And so, whatever gets you those, it's, it's those little things like that are the things that keep me out of trouble when I buy at geckos. Okay. All right. All right, Marcy. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Feel Thank better. you. Bye. Bye. All right. We hope Marcy gets well. She just she's recovering from surgery, so um, hope you get be- get better, Marcy. All right. Um, okay. It looks like the callers are done, John. I do have some a few more questions for you, though. Um, you know now. You know we have all these subspecies and species that we have with leopard geckos, they, you know, we have them defined basically by their Latin names. And, um, you know, of course, Eubulfaris macularis macularis is our common leopard gecko. Uh, do you think in the future uh, we, these Latin names will, will get, well, these geckos will become common enough where people will start giving them or they'll just, uh, they'll be given common names? Or do you think they're always just going to be described as uh, by their Latin names? Well, most of them have common names anyway. You would say, you know, you basically, all these are leopard geckos um, by description. So you would say, like, Angermani would be uh, the Iranian leopard gecko if, you collect, if it was collected in Iran. Or, you know, Indian, like the Fuscus and Hardwicki, there's East Indian leopard gecko and West Indian leopard gecko, but for the most part, the people that are interested in the stuff, they're going to go with the Latin name, which is, you know, the scientific name adds more depth to the, you know, a lot of people don't understand this, but they it adds more depth to what the animal is. Because sometimes you can have, you know, people don't realize how many different species there are of geckos out there. And if you don't have really a good way to classify each one of them, you know, it's it's hard to, hard to really know what you're talking about, you know. So... Like, you know, rather than calling them all leopard gecko, we call them all these different names because that's how they're described. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's, it's just, an, for me, I don't see it ever going away. I think it's gonna, it's always going to be there because that's what it's known as, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you literally, you could say, you could say Iranian leopard gecko if you want, but, I mean, there's, you know, most people that are into a, Angermani are not going to care, you know, they're going to know it either way. So, gotcha. I think it's going to stay. Okay, I understand. Yeah. You know, okay. we have a caller here. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I have a caller here I could take. Uh, call us from the 801 okay. area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Oh, hey, guys. This is uh, Tristan. I'm, I'm new to the show. Hi, Tristan. Uh, hey, um, I had a question for John. Um, I've been breeding leopard geckos for a couple of years now, um, and I just got started on subspecies, and I just wanted to know, what is the best to get started on? Okay, that's a good uh, question. It, which, it, which of the subspecies? Well, it comes down to if whether what you can spend, first of all, because you're going to have a few species out there that are pretty expensive still. Um, second of all, like, uh, whatever you're into, you know, do some research about it and find out what you like. If you like, you know, what what a Afghanicus looks like, then go for that or go for, you know, I get a lot of questions about what morph I should breed or what, what I should do with this or that. And, it's you know, it's they all have their advantages. There's a lot of people like, you know, patternless morphs. There's a lot of people like a lot of coloration and, and uh, you know, pattern to animals. And, I mean, it comes down to what you like. And, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of research to figure out, you know, what is what. You know, if you spend two hours, you could probably figure out everything that you would, you know, be looking at and kind of decide from there. I mean, you know, it's just do a little research and figure out what you like. I like them all. You know, I don't – there's not one that I don't like. Um, the lower price ones, I like I like Afghanicus a lot, you know, to be honest. But, I mean, it just varies on, you know, personal preference. You know, they're very small. They stay a lot smaller than the other leopard geckos or other subspecies. Um, but, you know, just it varies on what you like. If you had, if I had all the money, if I could only keep one for the rest of my life, it would probably be just Angramani. But, you know, it's I, I can keep them all, so I keep them all. Yeah. Right. I, I, I think I'm leaning more towards Afghanicus, but I just wanted to get your opinion on it. Yeah, just look, at them what, look, what, look what you like and then figure it out from there. You know, it, it, the, you see the picture, so, I mean, if you like, the, they're all pretty easy to take care of. I mean, mm-hmm. Afghanicus are, you know, just about the same as a regular leopard gecko, you know. So, I mean, they're yeah. all going to be fairly easy if you put your time and effort into it. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, you guys decide, for that. Yeah, Tristan, huh? one last thing. If you can't, if you're having trouble deciding, uh, just do what we do and just get all of them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Plan B. Well, uh, yep, yeah, guys, exactly. thank you for answering my question, and, uh, yeah. Sure. All right, have a good night, bud. Yep, you too. All right. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, I'm I'm undecided with how many – I like all the more, so, you know, i got to have a little bit of everything. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I trust me. I am on list to buy everything that I don't have, so I'm the same way. <laughs> oh man, honey, I think uh, there will be support groups for people like us in the future. Reptile addicts and stuff. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, <laughs> John, when you know these these uh, these geckos, like you, we've talked about, have been uh, difficult to acquire, and um, they come. They they basically make their way into Europe first and then eventually they get to us. What is, you know, it's been quite a challenge uh, acquiring them, finding the the right people to get them from, the contacts, this and that. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, the challenges that you faced, if you you want to, about acquiring some animals and what it's like having animals uh, shipped from overseas? 
Um, well, you know, a lot of people are scared of the unknown. And it is scary to get them from overseas because, you, you know, you have a lot of money tied up. And you got to kind of take a risk and, you know, spend money where, you know, you think you could lose it. Because honestly, like, any time I purchase anything overseas, I could never see that money again, you know. It takes, it takes uh, you know, some daring to, to send over thousands of dollars to, to a bank account that you, you know, never know if you'll see it again. There's no protection from PayPal or anything on it. So um, mm-hmm. that's always scary. But, I mean, you know, you got to do your research, and it comes down to that, doing a lot of lot of homework on it and talking to the right people and, you know, knowing who has what. And I mean, there's a lot of people in Europe that are selling a lot of these animals that I won't touch. But, you know, if I figure out, like, I know more than most of the people I'm talking to over there about it, and I have to ask the right questions, and if they won't answer them, then I'm going to move on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is a lot. There's a lot to it, but, you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm, I strive to get the, the best stuff possible, you know, because I do it for one, for fun, for me first, or for my you know, hobby and my uh, my animals first, and then you know, also I want to be selling something that I can stand by. And you know, if I sell it to somebody and it isn't what it is, and I'd feel bad about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it, it, it's difficult. You know, I've had I've had animals confiscated on the shipment overseas from from overseas over here, and you know, it's a bummer. It really really eats you up, but. You know, if all the paperwork isn't perfect and everything isn't perfect, you're gonna you can lose animals very easily. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a scary thing. I, I mean, well, it seems like you 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 made out pretty good though. You only had like one so great experience out of it. And uh, but well, I, yeah, I, mean, overall... I haven't done that many shipments from overseas, but you know, yeah, it does. It always it always worries you. I was I I couldn't sleep the whole week. I was getting fusu, so. <laughs> I mean, it was it was, it was stressful. So, but oh man, I can imagine. Yeah, wow. Well, it's uh, one of the other. Uh, we're coming almost to the end of the show, but I, one of the things I do want to uh, touch on, um, compared to our our common leopard gecko morphs, our Euglifaris macularis macularis stuff, um, mm-hmm. is there any like drastic differences in the care requirements with uh, the subspecies and the species? that we've talked about tonight compared to our common leopard geckos? Um, for the most part, it doesn't seem so, except for some of the Indian species. So if you're talking about Angamanyu and, you know, Pakistan species and Turkmenistan, all those species are going to be similar um, as far as care goes. They do prefer, mm-hmm. like Angamanyu, like I couldn't get the babies to start on mealworms at all. So I don't know if that's, you know, you probably can. I, I feed the adults some superworms here and there, but... For the most part, they're they're all on dubia roaches. So, um, you know, I wouldn't. I, I fed the baby Angamania from the beginning on on dubia. So I think crickets. You know, I know the guys in Europe do crickets mostly, but I think you're going to probably find that the feeders are not not as you know. You're not going to be able to use the worms as much. Um, other than that, their the, the care requirements are going to be pretty similar. The the hardwicky are going to be more of a tropical species, so you're going to have to keep them a little bit more moist. Um, almost almost similar to a fat tail, they need just a little bit more humidity to them. And same thing there. I mean, I keep mine very naturalistic. I keep them, you know, basically like 
dart frog substrate and like false bottoms and you know terrarium style setups you know with with heat and uh heat ramps and everything so um their their care requirements are a little bit different but for the most part most of them are going to be about the same uh trichomanicus seems to like a little bit more humidity too uh for the most part you know i find they're they are the first species that have shedding problems if i you know if I'm going through my racks, so I make sure I miss the trichomanicus twice a week now, at least, um, based on my setup. But depending on your setup, this is another thing, too. The husbandry, it just depends on how you set them up. I set up things where I don't have to take care of them every day. But if you have been in an open-air environment, and really, you know, depending on where your location is, you can live in Florida, and they could be probably fine without even misting half the time. And then if you live where I where I live, or you live somewhere very dry, you're going to have to be constantly missing them. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean they're all they're all easy as far as you know geckos go, um, and most reptiles go. If you just put a little time into it, it's it's pretty simple to take care of. Okay, well that's good to know. All right, um, all right. Well, we're coming to the end here, John, and I'd like to uh, give you some time to. Um, basically talk about anything that you'd like as far as um, promotions and uh, if you'd like to uh, give us, leave us with any closing remarks, uh, now's your chance to do that for us. And, um, of course, I, we did an excellent interview tonight. I'm just really happy with, with all the information. Um, well, I don't have too much to say anymore, but, you know, just thanks to everybody that's been uh, purchasing geckos. I'm trying to ship out this week. We're finally getting some warmer weather, so... Anybody that's been waiting for a long time to get geckos, I apologize, but you know Mother Nature hasn't been very cooperative lately. So mm-hmm. hoping to get most of those out this week. It's going to be very stressful shipping this many, um, but you know um, glad to make some room and you know make some people happy at the same time. So um, yeah, just thanks, yeah. thanks to everybody, and you know if you're interested in some subspecies that. You know, I have Turkmanicus and Montanus available right now, and I, I think I have some Afghan females still, and um, I should have some Angermanu. I, I had a waiting list for Angermanu, so I had a few people that are, you know, holding on those, but I'll have some more soon. You know, there are going to be a couple of available spots for those this year. Um, Hardwicky, I'll have some more, you know, this next year. I got at least... Yeah, I think I got eight or nine females breeding this year, so I'll have quite a few of those and maybe even sell some fuscus, so we'll see. <laughs> nice. That's cool. Yeah. All right. I wish I wish you the best of luck with these, John. And uh I think you're uh I think you're one of the best people out there that could be a, you know, basically a steward to these you know, very special uh wild type of leopard geckos. Uh, I think it takes a very just a very dedicated and knowledgeable person to just uh, be a caretaker, so to speak, of them and, you know, be able to bring them, you know, proliferate them for us in, you know, over the next few years, which is going to be, uh, be an important important project for you. So, uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck with them, honestly. Great. Thank you. I'm very excited about it, too. Thank you. <laughs> cool. All right, John. Thanks for coming on tonight, and uh, uh, we'll have you back again in the future, and thank you very much for uh, being a sponsor of Geck Nation Radio. It means a lot. Sure. Thanks, Dave. All right. Take care. Have a good night, bud. Thank you. All right, everybody. Excellent, excellent interview. Um, as you can see, John knows his stuff. Every time I talk with John, whether it's on the air or off the air, uh, he just impresses me somehow. I, uh, it's just 
his he has his way of thinking is uh, I don't know. I just think he's very, very smart, very calculating. He knows what he's doing, and uh, he does his research. And uh, tonight, this episode, uh, I think, was one of our best interviews overall. And uh, the inter- the inter- information on subspecies is important because in the future, uh, over the next few years, these, these geckos are going to become very popular in the trade and in, in the community. And uh, over time, like anything else, uh, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about how we have the different locales and some look different than others. Um, we're going to start seeing some different things popping out, I'm sure. Uh, once these genes and people start selectively breeding certain ones, you know, I think interesting interesting things will start occurring. Uh, so, again, these are more things in the leopard gecko community and the gecko community in general to look forward to. And I uh, also want to take this time to thank everyone uh, in the chat room tonight, let's see who's still with us. We have Airway Geckos, Allie from Canada, Austin West, Brooke, Brian Barrazzo, CX Gecko, a couple guests. We have Jeff Scott. We have Mike Rickett. We have MS2 Enterprises. We have Sean at Heavy Duty Reptiles. And we have Yvonne Hancock and Vogelfang, whoever that is. So I just want to thank everybody that joined us in the chat room as well. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play the outro, and I will come back with my closing remarks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. Okay, everybody, uh, we are back, and uh, uh, tonight we talked about uh, the wild types of leopard geckos, uh, as you all know, of course. Um, I'd like to take this time to dedicate this episode to the people in that region of the world, our soldiers that are over there, and everybody else, anybody that's suffering in that region for whatever reason, I'd like to dedicate this show to that whole area and hope that someday the Middle East is a place where not only we can go in and do studies on these amazing animals, but it's just a safe place to live and be for everybody. So uh, those are pretty much my closing remarks. And uh, thank you, everybody in Gecko Nation. Uh, we have a special show on Tuesday with Jonathan, Jonathan Fultz of Breeder Circle. And we're going to talk about ball pythons. We're going to talk about the ball python market. 
we're going to talk about just, you know, some of the things that are going on in the Vault Python uh, world today. Uh, it's a special insider kind of look into that whole uh, part of herpetoculture. Okay? So uh, it's going to be Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. So I uh, hope you guys can make it. And uh, I'm going to play a cool song for the way out. And tomorrow in the group, I will do the raffle for the people that called in. And we have Daryl, Elsa, Jeff, Carla, Marcy, and Tristan. So I hope to see you guys in the group tomorrow afternoon. And uh, hope Marcy from MS2 gets better. Everybody out in Gecko Nation, send Marcy some positive energy so she heals well, so she can keep pumping out that road show for everybody. All right, everybody, have a good night, and check out this song. Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.